Welcome to Speak with Eve. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice, and my guest today is Rue Freeman. Uh, Rue is a Sri Lankan-born author and activist uh, whose uh, creative and political work uh, has appeared in uh, The Guardian, The Globe, The New York Times. She's the author of the novels A Disobedient Girl, Sleeping Alone. Rue, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to be here. We, um, we, we've discussed this in passing before, you know, when we connected mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and I've been thinking about it a lot, um, what the future of, of labor is and um, how the, you know, the social changes that are, have been happening uh, in our politics, in our, you know, wars, in our, um, in our climate change are affecting ordinary people. Um, now, I know that you, I remember that you did your thesis, your graduate thesis on female migrant labor in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Um, and mm-hmm. you worked briefly in um, the Institute for Policy Studies in DC. Um, and you've worked for humanitarian and disaster relief programs. You did a book on, on the Palestinian question. Um, so I think that, you know, you're someone who's equipped to speak to this. Um, but we're seeing it happening in real time around us. You know, it's like globalization um, depended on gutting the labor unions, which began by Reagan and continued, you know, by, was continued by Clinton, which led to the disappearance of basically of the middle class, uh, which was done to bring down the cost of goods, right, by sending labor out of the countries that had, you know, labor laws and labor unions. Um, they also passed like right to work laws and whatever. So in a sense, this has led us to the current moment of like the silent resignation and the quitting right generation. What happens to all the people who live by the land? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Especially when the land is like not usable or when it's, it's you know, only like cultivated by robots. Um, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, India, China, I mean, they're still burning coal. They still, still have, uh, you know, non-industrial, huge non-industrial working populations, right? How are people going to live? Um, how are they going to make a living? So these are my thoughts and my questions, and I bring them to our conversation today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's such an interesting, uh, and the whole idea, the whole concept of labor, I mean, the, the graduate thesis that I was working on at the time was about, of course, like you said, female migrant labor in in those three countries, because a lot of Sri Lankan women, it was females, uh, go as housemaids to those countries and what happens. And there was uh, one of the findings is that there is a, a lack of translation between these two cultures because Sri Lanka is a very, it's a very small island, but we are very literate. Uh, high, very high late rates of literacy, mm-hmm. very high, very low. I mean, there is an income differential between men and women in Sri Lanka, but nothing compared to the United States. Uh, we're much closer, you know. Women mm-hmm. have a much uh, better position, they're much better positioned within the economy in, in, in Sri Lanka than they are in the U.S. Um, and then for those women to come from that culture and go to countries to work where there because of the demo the, like the geography the topography there is there's no male system so there is now there's like the a very different religious uh ethic um so different language altogether that the women don't speak so um and i feel like a lot of what we talk about when we talk about labor is a question of translation because um labor uh, you know, of course, it is the the, the word, the etymology of it is it, it comes from, um, you know, it's physical. It's it's the act of um, physical activity toward uh, some kind of product, um, whether that is picking up a pen or digging a hole. You know, it's a physical activity. But um, I think that. It, the change for me is 
that that labor was once it became a concept became consistently uh, hinged to capitalism and exploitation of resources, exploitation of people, exploitation of their time, uh, and exploitation of whatever it is that that labor produced. So, um, you know, you spoke about what's going to happen to people who live by live by the land. I mean, a lot right. of and by and by their hands, yeah. And but, by the hands, yeah, but mm-hmm. but a lot of those people who do that work don't own that land, and mm-hmm. because of again because of capitalism and the, the that kind of focus on um, corporations owning um, mm-hmm. land and people and what they produce, so they they they're living on land. They're not necessarily living by it because even what they produce doesn't give them enough to live. Right. I mean, they they don't have uh, in many parts I mean, in the U.S. Uh, basic rights of uh, basic dignity of even that comes from uh, a, a day of good work. Um, I remember talking to these um, cowboys in Texas who work on these on these huge uh, ranches, ranch land. They don't own, they love their work. They love working in the outdoors. They love their animals. They do all that work. They don't own anything. Mm-hmm. That land owned by, at the time, uh, mostly uh, Republican politicians uh, who live in the in D.C. mostly and uh, mm-hmm. use that land to get tax write-offs. So, you know, there's a, there's a corruption of the entire system, mm-hmm. I think, that, mm-hmm. that makes labor... The question of labor, questionable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's going to get worse as we have more and more robots in, introduced, even in industrial uh, labor, right? So, mm. I mean, I don't know. Like it's like the basically in the fifties, sixty-five percent of Americans or two or three belonged to a union. Now it's under twenty percent, nineteen percent, and as a result, we're going into a recession every decade. Because we just, you know, it's it's what happens when we don't have a means of production, you know, anymore in in the West. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have, as you said, we have the one percent, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And they, 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 the, the employers, the industrialists, the landowners, whatever, and they hold all the capital, so they pay no yeah. taxes, and they mm. don't sell anything anymore. Like they don't need to sell anything anymore. They have no income. They just acquire, 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 yeah. right? Um, right. They don't produce anything anymore. They invest. You know, it's like it's, it's post-capitalism. You know, money begets money. Um, yeah. And for they, some people, yeah. Right. For them. For them. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and they uh, are in charge of like the energy industry. I don't think it makes a difference if it's fossil fuel or green <laughs> investment banking yeah. and corporate. Uh, uh, you know, leadership basically, whether it's land owning or real estate or, or companies or whatever. Right. So yeah. um, it seems that we're hitting a wall. Um, mm-hmm. th- th- that's that's what I see, you know. Yeah. Um, and this uh, migration that's happening now is just going to get, you know, greater and greater and more destabilizing. So um, the, uh, the economic migration, the climate migration. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what is so interesting about all of it is, I mean, you mentioned unions, for instance. Uh, and, I, you know, I come from a very left-wing family. We are in a country, Democratic Socialist Republic of Sri Lanka. We have free education, free health care. We don't worry wow. about whether we have a roof over our heads. We are, we are very, you know, we're very comfortable in many ways. Wow. And, uh, and a highly educated um population mm. very involved in politics and multiple political parties not that we don't have our own issues but that those are not them you know uh, maybe we're overeducated i don't know but uh, mm. so you know unions are uh, of course significant uh, mm. in that in that background but my experience of american unions is completely different because i think that there's a lot of corruption in american unions and mm. they are complicit in in creating a system of inequality mm. because if you look at like for instance um uh, waiting for superman that movie about 
uh, education, public education in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and how the unions protect these these teachers who are incompetent and they just bounce from place to place. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, the union is supposed to protect. It was put in place to protect women who went into those jobs. Mm-hmm. That was the uh, that was the that was the origin. But it, that's mm-hmm. become a, a place where uh, incredibly incompetent. Uh, teachers are just kept in place because they can go to the union and the union heads are not necessarily on the side of the people that they're supposed to represent and you you can mm. see that in how they uh, play the political game right who whom they protect the police union will vote for the republicans because they want the money to fund these in, these overly armed you know bots who walk around like they're in some video game the amount of you know equipment they wear because that's money that's they get money for that and so i think that even the best uh, ideas unions that you know to you mm-hmm. know uh, uh, this representation mm-hmm. um gender rights anything mm. can become corrupt if the system in which it is operating is corrupt and you don't uh, you don't uh, challenge that system yeah and so i think you know when you say the american dream uh, i read somewhere recently that it's the middle classes that are sold the idea of home ownership oh if you pay off your if you pay your mortgage you'll have this thing you, you put money in a 401k you do this you do that but all that money that you that you're putting into these things are being actually invested by the the 1% you actually don't even get to mm. have any of it and you are penalized if you ever want it until you you have one foot in the grave right so you can't mm-hmm. really take that money that's not your savings it's someone else's playground uh of made up of your earnings and the home that you think that is going to take you out of whatever you know it's not really it's all it's doing is it's trapping you in a place that makes you makes you feel like you have no options you can't quit a job you can't move you can't do anything because you have a mortgage so it's kind of like a a shackle on your on your on your person mm-hmm. um and and i read that most people that the people who own homes are in that class the low, the middle and lower classes and the upper class they don't they don't they borrow for everything you mm-hmm. know people yeah. like you and i we yeah. don't want to borrow because yeah. we're like oh we can't borrow money we right. if we don't have it we not we, we don't have it right. we're not going to borrow right but but that's again it's it's so and i think it goes back also to education because uh i don't know if you know this tv show uh, adam ruins everything have you heard no have i don't it's hilarious it? uh-huh. it's just it's like this comic it's like a mm-hmm. comic for adults but it's a uh, adam ruins everything adam takes things like recycling and electric cars and uh why be more lawns and he'll just break it down as to where this actually comes from and um and and one of the things he talks about is this idea of manufacturing so you know every time we have an election there'll be someone standing in detroit saying i we are going to bring manufacturing jobs back and and they talk about manufacturing jobs but the reason why those manufacturing jobs existed back in the day was because most of europe had been bombed to smithereens and there was a, after the war right there was no, there was no there were no factories so the factories existed in the united states and people could build these cars and build things but when europe and uh, parts of asia got rebuilt they started doing the same thing and and it was much cheaper to do it over there than to do it over here so you can say you're going to create all these jobs but the reality the global reality is that they're never going to be here you know because they can be done better or faster or cheaper somewhere else so it's like a, it's like a whole system that exists and is propagating this falsehood because if you t- if you gave people a proper education in the public schools they would understand these things so you've got to keep most of the population undereducated so you can sell them this idea of an american dream and also of um you know these manufacturing jobs and stuff that's going to come in and how other people are taking your jobs etc mm-hmm. and now you have this like bunch of you know vast swaths of the american 
populace that is ignorant of the very things that are keeping them where they are. Right. I'll, I'll stop for, I'll take a breath. For that. <laughs> <laughs> <I could go. laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I think that a big part of it is uh, what we were saying, you know, that the, the substructure, let's say, you know, is no longer uh, re related to the means of production. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. related to, yeah. you know, holding capital, right? Mm -hmm. And, and even like the crypto dudes, they want to make up new capital that they can hold or, Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> um, right, right. And, and they, you know, they are in charge of, you know, like the, the Federalist Society, which was set up in 92, right? They, they decided, okay, we're going to take over the judicial and Congress, right? So uh, they're in charge of like all, all propaganda or all, or, or, or superstructure. They control the entire superstructure. So, That's what you're saying, I think, you know, there is no way, there seems to be no way out of that um, because they control the, the conversation, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, yeah, mm -hmm. the culture. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds to me like that's what Adam is showing us. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's just, I, I often think about, you know, like one of the ways you know about people who are not you is if you travel or if you read. You, these are the two mm -hmm. ways in which we find out about right. people. And I'm thinking about a conversation I had with my youngest daughter. She was, uh, she did this hiking, camping trip for a month this summer uh, through many parts of the U.S. that she had never been to Wyoming and um, Alaska and different parts uh, mm, out nice. on the other side of the country with her older sister. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she talked about was, I think it might have been in Wyoming. I don't know. It's Utah, maybe Utah. She was somewhere where there was no, you know, it was vast tracts of um, unpopulated land, and they were hungry. They stopped at this place where there was to, there, there was a burger, like at some some little place that was making burgers. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, so and so, it's like a little farm, and they had this little restaurant. Uh, and the meat comes fresh. Like I was joking, saying, "Oh, basically, the 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 beast walks up to the door and it's 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 felled right there to make your burger. You know, it's that fresh." <laughs> But uh, she said the people were so nice and they seemed so content with their kind of daily routine. Like they do their, their work, their field, they do their families down the street. There's like this very intimate connection with each other and they're just living life as they might want to live. Uh, but on the TV screen is Fox News. Hmm. So here you are and you're living your life the way you want to live. And then you have Fox News telling you, oh, people are trying to take this away from you. And she was saying, The, the people on the, on the other side of the spe political spectrum, they also want to just be left alone to live off the land and be simple and shop at the, you know, uh, market down the street and not on Amazon and, you know, just do their thing. People like her, you know, they want that too. And But these two extremes, if they spoke to each other, there would be this change because mm -hmm. there would be this understanding of a common desire to that that has got nothing to do with politics it's got to do with living much more simply and not being um you know pushed and pulled and manipulated by people uh, but that conversation rarely happens so i think about uh you know the work i do with narrative four as director of the artist network which by the way you should be part of <laughs> is uh, I'd love to. really Yeah, no, and I will certainly share a conversation too, is that when Narrative 4 is, its foundational um, practice is the story exchange. And it is, uh, and it started long time ago when they were working with uh, the kids from Newtown after the Sandy Hook uh, attack and uh, pairing those students with students from Chicago. And mm -hmm. that was 10 years ago, you know, it's our 10th anniversary now. And, oh, wow. And them finding, like, when they first began, they were saying, well, we don't have anything in common with this group of mostly white kids in Newtown compared to mostly black kids in Chicago and uh, who see gun violence every day. Um, 
And uh, but they did find that common ground by exchanging these stories and be, walk, walking a mile in the other person's shoes through language. And so, I mean, I, I love what Narrative Four does because I think that is the kind of organization that does bring those conversations to the forefront and puts people who ordinarily would never speak to each other together. Um, and I think uh, my hope, I, I think, is looking at young people today. We, I mean, mm-hmm. we work a lot with youth, but personally, as the mother of three daughters, I mean, you are also the mother of mm-hmm. a daughter. And so we know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what we aspire for them and how they live in the world and what their, you know, focus is. There is a real um, pushback from this generation against all these things that they're being fed. And they are saying, I don't know what this education is about. I don't know why I'm supposed to go to college and do the same thing and then fight to get a job and then build my house and have a house, you know. And they're saying, they're kind of bucking that and saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I think we're coming to a point where there's going to be such a a preponderance of young people who say that, that the system will have to change because they're not going to play that game. Yeah, I hope so. And that makes me very hopeful. Yeah. yeah, that's the quitting, you know, and I, I do, I do hope so. I mean, I think that it will take a lot of courage uh, when the time yeah. comes and they're, you know, if if they heed their biological clocks, you know, and I mean, yeah. I remember there was a, a, you know, in my life, <clears throat> there was a huge change, you know, when I decided I would become a mother. It was a huge change, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. then, I was willing. I repeatedly like gave up on on every perk to maintain, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I thought anyway, you know, was like the clarity of my vision and my work mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. my integrity, right? So I said no to, like I would have Oprah's limo downstairs and I wouldn't go, right? But mm-hmm. but then I'm sure you experienced that, you know, you are responsible for another and you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you have the means of, um, th- to keep this, you know, this innocent being like healthy, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and uh, and safe, and you can't take the same risks that you used to just with yourself when you were there was nothing to lose but yourself, right? So you could make mm-hmm. that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, you know, I I I believe that you know the way that we need, we can change this if there, you know, and I I don't have specific solutions or, or down the, you know down the way, but overall. We need to kind of demonetize and remonetize the entire system, you know, like mm-hmm. demonetize the things that should be free, like have the right mm-hmm. to food that's healthy, mm-hmm. you know, have the right mm-hmm. to like some sort of basic shelter, right? That's that's healthy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, demonetize the basic living that now we're mm-hmm. dependent on the system for, and the, and then remonetize like the value of nature, you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why is a tree uh, worthless, but it's worth mm-hmm. money when you cut it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why do well, you, exactly. you know, wh- why do our natural resources have no uh, in, you know, inherent value in dollars, in money, um, until we take advantage of them and use them and use them up, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. changing that, um, and and for on, on my on my end, like something that I've been working on is this whole um, you know program for monetizing motherhood, you know, which I I call universal mother income, and basically it's it's mm-hmm. part of this idea, like with the female migrants, you know, that you mm-hmm. researched, you know, mm-hmm. w- women get paid to mother other wealthier people's mm-hmm. children, <laughs> but mm-hmm. not their mm-hmm. own, right? It is mm-hmm. labor. It's hard work. We know how hard work it is. Like, mm-hmm. we, you know, we've done a lot of other work and we know how difficult and complex and time consuming and, and kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, skill based it is. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not monetized officially, you know, except mm-hmm. like through the whatever unregulated, whatever spousal economy or whatever. But, um, you know, this is like a I think that we need to kind of like revisit, you know, where we put money into and what we get money for, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I look at like my daughter's friends and it's heartbreaking to me that they're being paid to promote, um, you know, corporations or businesses Mm -hmm. of some kind. That's what all these young women are being put to work to do. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and I, but again, you have to, uh, and and I completely want to affirm the fact that our daughters are, come from a place of privilege. I mean, they come from mm-hmm. education, they come from uh, connections. You know, I was just talking to my oldest daughter. I mean, both our daughters are in law school now, and I was ta- uh, I noticed that Ed Pavlik, who you know, the writer who you also know, is his son, child is also in law school and I was going to put them in touch. So we have these connections. They're very, but they're very, um, I mean, I've raised my children to always feel like they can reach out to other people, that they don't have to go to a bureaucracy. They don't have to go to an institution. They don't have to go to the bank. They can ask for help from other people because that fundamentally is the thing that the system tries to erase, right? The idea that you can be helped by each other because if you're helped by each other, you're not going to go trust the system you're not going to do you know you're not you know uh we talked yesterday not yesterday last two days ago i was doing an event at penn and we talked about sri lanka and the revolution and what people how about the people are struggling and i was saying you know people struggle but they help each other so there is this sense of a, a communal struggle and a communal suffering and a communal uh assistance um for each other that you know people will share and um so i think that you know that piece of it is very important but so yeah like you know, not compete america wants us to compete against each other yeah they want and they <laughs> want and they want women to compete against each other yeah right uh, yeah. and i think that these girls that our children yeah. do have a sense of they come from a different uh yeah, social sure. class in some yeah. ways however much money they do or do not have they still have a a sense of the world, a sense of their place in that world, and a sense that that world is going to befriend them uh, because of who raised them and how they were raised and how they've read and all these things. I say all that, but to say that these kids who are working in PR and marketing do have a choice. You can say, I am not going to do that thing, right? I mean, I, I you can this is a choice that each of us has to make. So, and it and it applies to pretty much anything. Uh, I think about hmm. um, unfair allegations of, say, uh, people saying um, something like, I, I make some allegations about about some man, and I can and I can use a trigger word, right? Like abuse. I can oh that person abused me. I, I could say that, mm-hmm. and then bam, there's like this huge repercussion that happens because I'm just wielding uh, uh, something that is not true. But if that man never fights back and says anything about that, that culture grows. It becomes more and more the case that you can do that. In the same way that other um things it reverse you know things like where you can be abusive to a, a woman and that woman doesn't say anything and nobody you know fights for her and then that becomes a culture that is becomes prevalent so i feel like every single one of us has the opportunity to change the, the system by refusing to do a certain thing or refusing to play a certain game no i'm not going to uh you know join the social media campaign about uh uh, this or that or the other thing, because I can see what what that is that that it's a marketing gimmick or it's something. Um, I'm going to do this other thing, and I feel like we really have to encourage, particularly young people, um, to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be brave enough to make that choice. And right. I mean, uh, the the choice because, of like cooperation and and like regeneration and and all that stuff. But yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, you know, they they get this, I don't know, it's a version of this um, of the American dream in the sense of, you know, I'm going to work hard for a few years and then I won't, you know. And of course, once mm-hmm. you're in it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this kind of like comparing yourself to the Joneses kicks in and nothing is ever enough. <laughs> no, it isn't. And also there is, uh, I mean, I, I was teaching an undergraduate uh, comp class which I'd never taught in my life. It was part of uh, this uh, MFA at Rutgers and I had to teach. And I, I brought in all these readings for them um, hmm. uh, and I had them do research on a particular, like they, they picked their own topics, but they were researching hmm. conditions uh, in other countries, which they had never thought that was 
necessary to even do. But just the fact that they were researching them and they came into class and said, I don't understand. Why am I living in a country where I don't have, because I had students in my class who were mothers, who were single moms, and they don't have leave. They're falling asleep in my class because they have 10 jobs, like, you know, and in school. And to to learn that there is maternity leave in other countries, that in Italy, for instance, you can take that amount of leave and you'll keep uh, your job at half pay for a certain length of time and you'll still have your seniority when you come back. That's civilization to me. So if I'm a young woman living in the United States and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, here's a place that I can do all these things and I can have a good life. And by the way, I can have a siesta in the middle of the day. And, you know, uh, but, but, and, and my kids can go to school and not be worried that they're going to get shot, that they don't have a gun, you know, an active shooter drill on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Why? would you choose to have a kid in the United States, right? So I feel like this country is really facing a reckoning where these young people are going to say, I don't have to do this. I can go somewhere else because their work and their skills are much more fluid now than mm-hmm. they used to be. I mean, they, back in the day, people stayed at the same job their entire life. And if they had like two previous places of employment people were just like oh i don't think this person is a reliable person then it became like two three years whatever people were changing jobs now particularly after covid with the remote work situation um a lot of people can be anywhere they want and if i had to choose to be here and bring children into the world and send them into these schools but had a remote job why would i stay here you know, I wouldn't want to stay here. This is not a place that is conducive to families. It's not conducive to women. Mm-hmm. It's it's a country that hates women. You know, there's such a loathing for women. And I have three daughters. I encourage all of them to, to not choose to be here if they want to have families. I mean, they may not listen to me, but yeah. that's, as a mother, mm-hmm. If I think about their safety, that's what I would say. Not that there aren't problems in other places, not that there aren't wars and, you know, the climate crisis and all those things. But at least the fact that people acknowledge a climate crisis, that they acknowledge that there's a problem, that in itself gives you a little bit more hope, right? I mean, it's, it's very despairing to be in a place where not only are you sort of a second class citizen because you're a woman mm-hmm. uh, or not um, a, a cisgender gendered man but everything else is feels so hopeless um, that's it's not I feel like there was a time when um, people were coming to the US they're like desperate to come here because they want to give their children a better life I feel like a lot of my friends, are trying to get their children out of the U.S. because they want to give them a better life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I definitely know a lot of people too, but they're Americans and they, um, you know, yeah. renounce the citizenship yeah. or they buy a home abroad, yeah. they retire yeah. abroad. You know, Greece is being bought up by Europeans and Americans, yeah. Portugal, Mexico. Yeah. So there yeah. is definitely like a flight. Um, there is like a new wave of expats. Um you know, for, for us, I mean, I don't know how you feel. For me, personally, you know, I, it was a huge sacrifice coming here. Um, yeah. I, you oh, know, yeah. And so it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to turn around and, and go back. Um, yeah, I totally <laughs> get it. I yeah. totally get it. I didn't intend to stay, but then I, you know, I married an American. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also, I mean, like you, we are people who are very devoted to whatever we put our minds to. So if we are here, we're going to be devoted to here and mm-hmm. we're going to get involved mm-hmm. and be speak out and be in the arts and support our communities and do all these things that immigrants are so good at doing, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then then it's hard to leave uh, because I was, I'm facing that thing, like, do I sell my house and leave? Uh, and I was talking to one of my daughters and I said, you know, it's very difficult to contemplate because I left my own home to come here. Yeah. I didn't intend to stay here, but I stayed because of my marriage and how that went. And, uh, but now I have been here longer than I was, than I lived in in Sri Lanka. So to, to uproot this and then go somewhere else is just, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. And but I, it is still uh-huh. it is still uh very um tempting. <laughs> tempting and I may still do that. Hmm. You know, because because I can't because because I'm I'm also now divorced and so you know back to women and what happens to women and how they are not impact they're adversely impacted by the economy uh, and the fact of child rearing and and motherhood like you were saying you know you oh, do absolutely. all of that absolutely at yes. the end of the day you don't have the track record of work you don't have all the social security earnings you don't have you know you have the gig oh, absolutely. you do all these things absolutely yeah so uh, i mean so i can I'm put you know i look at my resume you know, in a just yeah. and fair world, I would be able mm-hmm. to put years of working as a yeah. mother and they would count yeah. as the equivalent of working for like whatever, Brown University or Spin Magazine or whatever yeah. it is that's on right. that, right? Because right. <laughs> it was as much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The world's becoming so Americanized um, that whatever difference we can make will probably be more significant here than outside the U.S., um, of course, you know, the question is, can we make a difference? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, I mean, I think um, I'm blanking on the name of the woman. She's an artist. She's a black artist. Uh, she taught at Brown. She was an older artist at Brown, actually. And then I don't know why I'm blanking because I went to her opening her book launch and uh Somebody was asking her if she could do something, and she said, "I have done enough. Mm. I, I am not doing anymore." And I think there is that sense of mm. how much can you, how much of yourself can you pour into a, into this black hole of endless, uh, you know, just turmoil and insanity in some ways, because. I mean, say say I decide to stay here, you know, you mm-hmm. know, you go back to this, I have a job, I have a great working, I have wonderful colleagues, I have great organizations, I'm doing work that is really meaningful, mm-hmm. uh, wonderfully, I can also do that from somewhere else. But staying here means I have to make sure that I can afford the place, the roof over my head, I have to be worried about healthcare, I have to be worried about every little thing. Um, in a way that I don't have to do in a more civilized place where, like you said, those fundamental right to food and shelter and health and healthcare <laughs> mm-hmm. is just not something you have to debate. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to debate that. It's available mm-hmm. if you're sick. In Sri Lanka, you can go, you can get an operation, you can have a baby, you can do all this and you can come back home. You can stay at the hospital for as long as you need to be. You go into hospital days before your baby is even due mm-hmm. so that you're already there and having a good time getting some rest before mm-hmm. this baby arrives and then mm-hmm. you're there for longer that i mean that doesn't happen here because it's the profit margin the profit margin and the fact that you know i had to get a bunch of cat scans and i couldn't get the 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 thing that the doctor prescribes because an insurance person is going to tell me i cannot do it because their person decided i don't have to do it even though my doctor thinks that i should say you know the, this is in this is living in clown land yeah and and we are all cheering at the circus like yeah it's reality but it isn't yeah you're right you're right and you know Ugh. and profit de- does determine everything it so, does so like in in you know in healthcare you know the most expensive operation or procedure is the one that's recommended most and first <laughs> you know it's also counter yeah. it's it's counterintuitive from the point of view of healing but it makes sense it's logical from the point of view of you know corporate profits and capitalism right and yeah. and the mass of people you know keep going from one to the other looking for representation and there isn't any you know you just they're they're just swindled by either yeah. party you know whether yeah. you yeah. think um, oh yeah! Know. Oh yeah! Yeah. So it's like back and forth from one to another, and they're the same parties, you know, speaking variations of like whatever language they think will get them votes, um, but yeah. they don't mean them. They don't no, mean what they, they say. <laughs> they don't mean what they say, and yeah. it is. I mean, I mean, and I go back to uh, as an undergraduate, my uh, 
my I, I did an honors thesis. I was at Bates College, and my thesis was about uh, USAID and World Bank, IMF, and their programs in South Asia, um, in the in five countries. And one of the things I was talking about back then, and that was a long time ago. I won't say how long because then you'll know how old <laughs> I am. But it was a very long time ago. I was writing about what I considered because I looked at this picture and my sense was that there was this what I call the transnational capitalist class and that was mm. unbordered and then and uh, and then there was this and all of us are stratified in this fashion across the world so our common our common friends are not necessarily here they are in other places off at a certain social level, right? All of us artists in what, you know, and then the transnational capitalist class, which is exploitative and speaks the same language. And I remember teaching, so years pass and I'm teaching in Colorado College and I remember one of my students who now is a wonderful agent uh, in New York, literary agent. Her parents wanted her to go to Wall Street and she talked about, um, she said, okay, I'll do a summer because they said, okay, do a summer uh at Wall Street, and if you really still want to do it, be an English major and try to be a, a an agent, you do <laughs> it. And she did this job, and she said, "I made so much money." And but I realized that everybody in that group, we came from all over the place, but we all spoke the same language. We'd all been to the same, you know, racing tracks. We'd all gone to the same debutante things. We all had a common vocabulary of class that transcended their geographic locations. Um, so <laughs> that is the reality, I think. And and our bonds, therefore, have to be uh, unbordered in the same way. I think um, my middle daughter, Hasadri, who's in London, she works for, uh, I mean, she's in school, but she's also part of the Global Justice Now our futures now that that network of people working on um, on on justice social justice issues but globally mm-hmm. because these these are i mean obviously you have to have your localized um mm-hmm. events and things but they are trying very much to say how do we share things like i i mean when i look at my house for instance i think my artist friends should come stay with me and write or create art and be here because why should I just be here? Mm-hmm. There's room for other people in it, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, like but yeah. again it comes from it comes from the culture that I was raised in, where is that this sense of like let's all share things. I, I remember one of the things that baffled me was that every house in a suburban in suburban America has its own lawnmower, its own tool shed of tools. And I was like, why can't everybody just Share the lawn more. Like, does, does yeah. everybody need to have yeah. one? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. But it makes sense to Home Depot, right? Yeah, exactly. It makes sense yeah. to Home Depot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I have um, I have a memory, you know, when you, you were speaking about um, when I first came to America. Well, I was 15. So, at 16, mm-hmm. I was at, I went to, I was at NYU. And on my second yeah. semester, first year, um. I got accepted into a senior seminar, so I was so proud. I mean, like, you know, yeah. like my chest was like twice as big because I felt, <laughs> you know, like the approval from the man. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it, was a, it was taught by a professor who had been ambassador or assistant ambassador or something like that to China. Um, uh-huh. And it was uh, uh, World Peace was the name, World Peace. Uh-huh. So, of uh-huh. course, I came from... Uh, you know, the background of like Marxism and my understanding of world peace was that, you know, mm-hmm. the Marxists were the first people who had come up to in my to my mind, you know, with the idea of like, you know, internationalism, not through yeah. empire, but, mm-hmm. you know, through some sort of like community or camaraderie or, or similarity of conditions, right? Um so when I heard world peace, that's you know that's why I really wanted to take the class. Well, it turned out that it was about uh, globalization, which I hadn't quite understood the concept until then, and about how corporations will assure world peace. Um, and oh. and when it was time to to write you know a thesis, and of course I wanted to 
bring up the Marxist, um, you know, theory and, and, and discuss that version, you know, that, yeah. that version to, you know, to like becoming, to, uh, 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 you know, acquiring some sort of world peace. Um, the professor took me aside and, and told me that he would get me deported, <laughs> among other things, uh. which I won't say there, but it was so traumatic that I had a complete, you know, nervous breakdown. I, I got, took all incompletes. I was like physically, uh, basically paralyzed for, for some days. And uh, then I, I, you know, when I managed to move again, I went back to Greece, um, didn't, you know, couldn't think of America. I had like such a strong PTSD. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then eventually I came back, you know, a year, I started studying uh, ar archaeology in Greece. I got into the university in mm -hmm. the archaeology program and I was mm -hmm. like, found salvation in Minoan civilization. I mean, imagine, yeah. imagine yeah. <laughs> how damaged I was by, by this yeah. understanding, you know, and then eventually came back a couple of years later to Bard, which did, you know, was like so yes. much better. Um, yeah. But basically, I, it, I understood in a, in a very visceral way that the, you know, what we call then capitalists, you know, but the, the, the system had taken over the, the world, the words, the, the, the language yeah. of internationalism and had appropriated it successfully, right? Yeah. And that's what yeah. we've watched happen ever since. Um, and it's the, you know, the, the power to, to, to kind of like turn around the words, you know, which feels very post, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, post-patriarchal or <laughs> post-structural yeah, <I> <laughs> or <laughs> deconstructionist or whatever, the, you know. But yeah, yeah. that's where we are right now, where, you know, there is no truth, there is no authority, right? So there yeah. is a lack of trust, you know, and, and that forces everybody even more to kind of like look after themselves, you know, and buy their own lawnmowers yeah. and, yeah. you know, stay, stay in their little compound wherever they are, yeah. you know, yeah. whether it's in nature or in the, you know, urban center, yeah. you know, and have uh -huh. like their houses to themselves because you don't know what other What's people happening. are yeah. meaning. Yeah. 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 What are... You don't, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I, I, I also mean like, I think... Uh, you don't know what other people mean and you're always on pins because you could be, you could trip over the latest thing that has been brought in, uh, you know, under the magnifying glass. So the real things that you really have to fight about and should be struggling for get pushed aside because we right. are too concerned with, uh, you know, the minutiae yeah. of our, pet, you know, the small differences, I guess. Right. And it's interesting that you said about, you know, the Minoan civilization, because I think about like the American system, you know, is based, it's the, it's the, it, it, the, the Western kind of history comes from there. And I, for, through narrative four also, again, I've been, um, looking at because we did a whole unit on the odyssey because narrative for us it does learning resources for uh schools here uh, in the united states as well as abroad in ireland and parts of africa in palestine and israel and as we looked at the odyssey you know we were talking this great conversation with artists who were talking about the this you know odysseus is like this returning hero and there's so much that is there in common with his estrangement from his home when he comes back and young uh, black boys um, like Odysseus' son in, in the United States whose parents, whose fathers might get incarcerated because of the the prison system here. Mm. And then they come home and they're, they're supposed to be like these heroes when they come back, but they can't be because their kids have had to grow up. And there's so much that you could actually talk about when you talk about a book like that, but we don't touch that because that is opening up, you know, the minds of kids to really think about how these texts actually might be giving us a, a roadmap for thinking about the present day. Instead, we'll just go to, you know, oh, you know, Natalie Haynes, uh, I don't know if you know her work, she's amazing. She writes a lot about female heroines and female goddesses mm -hmm. in Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. yeah, and she's, 
she's fantastic because she talks about how they've all been brushed under the carpet and recreated as this other, uh, you know, kind of like the problem in every situation, you know, even Helen of Troy. Um, so I think the 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 way we treat women, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way we treat women is and and femininity and how we highlight femininity in our uh, engagement with the world in because it's much more communal um, is very much tied to how we think about um, labor and capitalism and uh, what's really wrong with the world. So oh, wow, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've gone all around the place. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love this <laughs> last this last sentence. <laughs> I, we could I, go on forever. Yeah, we could go on forever. We, we could just make the whole podcast, you and I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unpacking that sentence, right, of how, mm-hmm. you know, the presence of w- women and the way that, mm-hmm. you know, patriarchy, what patriarchy has had to do for like six, seven, eight thousand years to women to like mm-hmm. undo the most basic, uh, you know, relations of procreation, let's say, Um you know, has affected the way we are, I think, mm-hmm. I, you know, very fundamentally as cultures now. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we no longer need to do those things. I mean, we have like, you know, paternity tests and IVFs and like birth controls and whatever. So, um, yeah. But we don't know who who we are and how to be with each other because it's been yes. such a, you know, long and... and, and and abusive, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, coexistence before before all these changes that happened, like you know, in the toward the last third of of the previous century. So yeah, that's there is a lot to unpack there. You'll have to I, come back. <laughs> I have to come back, or you yeah. or, sh- or you can interview some of the girls. I mean, you know, I oh, just yeah. love the I love your story though. That that that's where you did. That's what you did. But, that story of I mean I'm not going to forget that I'm going to share this with my kids as well about you know that connection that you went you know you gave to NYU as this um, you know brilliant young person and was so traumatized by this strange uh, and backward reading of what peace might be and then went back to studying yeah, to, the, to the source. Yeah, yeah, I went back to the, the source, source for yeah. like salvation, <laughs> you know, sanity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's priceless. Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your time and your wisdom. And um, everybody out there, thank you for listening. And until next week, speak, sp- keep speaking war and peace and love. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and uh, and who run the world? Girls. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I could make love incessantly, I would be God. My name is Eurydice Eve, and I'm a writer and artist best known for writing for Scribner and Spin, and these are my conversations with leaders in diverse human communities. Join our flow and stay with us for a while.